This is an ABC podcast. Our big congratulations to Paul Lynch, the 2023 winner of the Booker Prize for his novel, Prophet Song. Nobody asks you to write a book and you sort of build your cantilever bridge out over an abyss and you hope it will take readers across and suddenly, you know, you're getting a pat on the back from a, a prize like the Booker, you know, it's it sort of feels like it's been worth it because this book was hard to write. I'm Sarah Lestrange and this is a bonus episode of The Book Show, bringing you the winner of this year's biggest international literary award. Now, when I first read Prophet Song, I did tell Claire Nichols that I thought it was in with a very good chance. I just had this immediate reaction to it because of its scope, its prescience because it speaks to the many conflicts in our world today and it's just downright brilliant writing. The book is a dystopian novel and it's set in the Republic of Ireland where a civil war has broken out and a populist government has taken control. It's the near future and it's very recognisable. And Paul Lynch says he wanted to do something special in this book. He wanted to bring the reader face to face with the Medusa which means he doesn't flinch from the devastating reality of what it means to live in a conflict zone and what it means for people's daily lives. In this book, activists are being disappeared and the main character, Ailish Stack, is just trying to keep her family together. When the novel opens, she has no idea how much her life will change. I had the pleasure of speaking to Paul Lynch when his book was shortlisted for the Booker Prize and he begins with a reading from the start of the novel. The night has come and she has not heard the knocking, standing at the window looking out onto the garden. How the dark gathers without sound the cherry trees. It gathers the last of the leaves and the leaves do not persist the dark but accept the dark and whisper. Tired now, the day almost behind her, all that still has to be done before bed, and the children settled in the living room, this feeling of rest for a moment by the glass. Watching the darkening garden, and the wish to be at one with this darkness, to step outside and lie down with it, to lie with the fallen leaves and let the night pass over, to wake then with the dawn and rise renewed with the morning come, but the knocking. Paul Lynch, when Ailish Stack opens that door, she lets something into the house. What does she let in? In some ways, you could say she's letting in the labyrinth because she's entering into a labyrinth. She's letting in chaos. She's letting in malevolence. She's letting in the dark order of that's 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 taking shape in the book. And, you know, the background in the novel is it's Ireland. Uh, it may be a counterfactual Ireland. It may be an Ireland in the near future. The book doesn't say, but it is an Ireland where a populist government has been elected and where democratic freedoms are beginning to be curbed. And so the media is in it has is being controlled. The economy is beginning to weaken. Foreign national companies are pulling out. And there's this sense uh, of sort of it couldn't happen this this can't happen here and what she meets the door two officers from from the GNSB Ireland's newly formed secret police the Garden National Services Bureau and they want to speak with Larry 
who's her husband, who's a trade unionist, a senior trade unionist, and he works for the Teachers Union of Ireland, and they want to march. And, you know, Larry finds himself very soon in an interrogation being asked to prove that the thing that he always does, which is to march, living in a liberal democracy, the ability to march, that that thing that he does is not a seditious act against the state. And that's the moment really where Eilish and Larry start to realize that the tipping point has occurred. And from that point on, I suppose it's a it's a barrel roll down a hill. <laughs> and he's disappeared quite early in the novel. That's not giving anything away. I guess what's remarkable about your approach here, Paul, is that you could follow the soldiers, you could have followed the competing political interests, but in this book, you, you keep it domestic. You follow Ailish Stack and how she tries to keep her family together or not in the face of encroaching violence and terror. So why follow Ailish Stack? Great question. And it was something that was at the forefront of my mind while I was writing this book. You know, when I think of something of, of a great book like the Iliad, what you're getting in the Iliad is the heroics, the the politic, the politics, the the major players up front and center. But who's who, who's who's in the background of that novel? We don't see them, and I I think that's really important. And you know, when I watch what's happening on the news, I'm getting often again the same kind of presentation. It's very difficult for journalism to enter into the individual life of somebody who may be going through these kind of tumultuous uh, political upheavals and events. And so I'm interested in the quiet life of unrecorded acts. I'm interested in what it's like for an individual like Eilish to go through such an experience, to, to experience for the reader the kind of decisions that, that one has to make and within a context where your ability to make decisions has quickly been taken away, I say that she's in a labyrinth. Really what's happening is she's she's kind of met with, we might call it philosophical blindness. I mean, she really has no concept of what's taking shape around her. And so she keeps acting, she keeps making choices. And at the same time, the world around her is just shifting and it's 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 completely unreadable. And so... While she's trying to do this, and this is a very kind of Greek kind of setup for me, you know, this idea of we're making choices, almost in certainty, but we don't know what the outcome's going to be. At the same time, she has to live her life. She's been squeezed. She's in her 40s. She's got teenage kids. She's got a newborn baby. She's got a father who's sliding into dementia. She has a career as a pharmaceuticals company. These are complex things. She's completely enmeshed. And so this is how life is. You know, it, it it's not some sort of paper mache dystopian world. You know, the real is really important to me in this novel. That 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 the readers completely inhabited, located within the real as we know it, so that when the forces begin to play, begin to shape Elish, and she begins to try and make some trajectory through this and protect her family, we also see what her reality is, which is she's just an ordinary person living her life and trying to get back to what we all consider now to be normality. She's trying to go to the shops. She's trying to get across town to help her father. And as a reader, as the violence ramps up, these very mundane 
acts become uh, one of life and death. And she's always being asked, why won't you leave? Her sister says, who's in Canada, um, you know, history is a silent record of people who did not know when to leave. But Ailish thinks to herself, to leave means tearing off her feet. Yes. I mean, what, how do you make decisions in this, in this environment? That's what she faces. Yeah, I mean, it's something that I'm profoundly interested in. I've always been interested in this idea of when do you know when to leave? You know, and you get a sense throughout history that it's always the artists and the intellectuals who somehow are able to read read the science. But for, uh, you know, most ordinary people, they're just enmeshed. And Eilish is, you know, like she, it's very practical for her. She says, you know, her father says to her, you need to get out now. This is happening. And she says, but what if you fall and break a hip? What then? It is as simple as that. You know, we we are who we love. The lives that, that we live are actually a reflection of, of the people that we love. And leaving home is genuinely the most difficult thing in the world to do. And it's something that this book is exploring in depth, these sort of very deep relationships that we have to place, that we have to family, Um because the decision to get on a boat, for example, you know, we've had this, we've had, you know, a serious crisis in, in, in Europe where we've had many, many, many Syrian refugees and other refugees and migrants getting into those boats to get to Europe. And my question was always, what does it take for someone to get into one of those boats? You know, if you if you are a, you know, an educated, intelligent uh, person who's had a career and you've got children, what what has to happen for you to make that decision to get into that boat? And so for me, one of the reasons I wrote this book was to truly inhabit that that space, to truly understand that ability to leave and that ability to make choices like this. And so the book had to work off a very strict uh, adherence to truth. There could be no sort of novelistic fancy at work in this book. No sort of, sort of, oh, that's a nice thing, I'll try that. Or that's a, that would be an heroic thing for her to do, I'll have her do this. That The book just kept saying no, that there's a sort of logic to what unfolds. And I, I, I realized when I was writing it that this question that I'm trying to answer for myself and to understand and to sort of deepen my own empathy was, was it had to be a sort of a, a QED. The last line of the book is 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 something that I would, that I was writing towards, and to prove it true, the book had to be like a series of equations, and and that's how it came to be. What's it like for you as a writer to put your main character under such terrifying pressure? I mean, Ailish is just she she's just a really nice person trying to get on with life. What's it like for you to put her under that pressure? Is it terrifying too? Yeah, I mean, I will say that there's a there's a the set the penultimate chapter of the book, which if people have read it, they'll know what I'm what I'm talking about, and you, Sarah, will know what I'm talking about. Um, the scene that chapter I couldn't write it. I couldn't write it for a number of months. I was living in in lockdown with my own family, and I just became very blocked. I I couldn't access how to go about it. I couldn't access my own powers to write it. And in many ways, that scene, what you're doing is you're holding up a mirror and you're staring face to face with the Medusa. And as a writer, as an artist, if you're serious, I think you have a responsibility to follow the truth. 
and not to not to flinch, not to avert your gaze, and to hopefully write in such a way that you take the reader along with you. You know, Virgil taking the hand of Dante, that that the poet guides the reader through this world and does so in language that that is in a, in a sense is a kind of a comfort. It's a song that there's a lyric there that that there's a reason for that. At the same time, you're saying to the reader, we need we need to confront the Medusa. And I, I think that serious artists have a responsibility to do this. And that's 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 what I'm here to do. Um, and I'm not going to flinch from that. And, I, you know, eventually when I did sit down to write it, I, I had to leave. I had to flee Dublin during lockdown and I got in the car and, you know, there's, like the book is the book is for a time police state. And uh, I had written that before COVID and suddenly I found myself living in a police state technically speaking and i was all for the lockdowns just 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 you know just so we know but i actually had to flee and you know race up to ross common in the countryside while actually sort of discussing with myself a, a sort of a, a, a script if i'm stopped by the guardie about how to explain what i'm actually doing and i thought this is so strange i'm living i'm living some aspect of of my own book here and but i got to ross common and i sat down and i had i had 6 days to myself and the chapter, it just it just came out and mm. it was an unburdening um, and it came out the way it needed to come out. Well, and as you've said, I mean, so many people are living this book in, in many different ways around the world. Were you just aware of those parallels? I mean, since you wrote it, there have been a few more added to that. There have, yeah. And, you know, when I started writing it, I was thinking a lot about Syria. I was thinking about how a modern country could just could could literally implode and how millions of refugees, you know, the biggest refugee crisis since World War Two could occur and be met with sort of resolute indifference by Europe. Um, I was taken aback by that and I was annoyed by it. And but I also wanted to understand it. Um, what 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 is the problem of empathy that's occurring here? And. I, I just wanted to write in such a way that that, that I could truly inhabit the moment, the lived moments that, that that these characters have to go through, because I think you have to take it down to the heartbeat of the moment to truly get past the politics, to get past the self-defenses of, we all have self-defenses up. We always, when we watch the news, we're bombarded by the spectacle and the spectacle has completely sort of desensitized us. And we we're not able to to truly process what we see, so I, I I wanted to get past all this, and I was thinking about Syria. But as as the as it progressed, I realized that I was really crafting a story that would speak to multiple stories at once. That it was taking on a complexity, and I think the goal for for most writers ultimately is to get as close to myth as you can, because if you can do that, you're able to carry layers and layers and layers of meaning all at once. And I'm not saying this book gets close to myth at all, but I realized as I was writing it that that it was seeming to deepen, it was seeming to become a, a narrative that could speak for multiple narratives. And so when the Ukraine happened, um, when I see what's happening in Israel and Gaza right now, these aspects are already spoken for in Prophet Song. It's all there. And it's it's a kind of a miracle in a way that the book does this for you know you don't know how to do it you don't set out to do it but somehow it's one that speaks for the many 
How did you go about creating that sense of claustrophobia? Um, the imagery you use of the foreboding is also very domestic. How did you think through that the style? Talking about this sort of stuff, we rationalize it after the fact. And what you're sort of doing at a tactical level is something that is, at the start, certainly a very intuitive act. And there are a number of things that I would have realized that I'm sort of doing, building into the form of the novel and the form. The book does have a very unique form. And it's that form that sort of allows all of these things to, to cohere. So, for example, the sense of what the politics is, the sense of the the sweeping scale of what's going on, keeping that in the background was really important because that actually increases the terror. When you can't see what is unfolding, when you don't fully understand what is unfolding, when it's something that cannot be obvious, it's a sense of the sublime from the 19th century, that idea of, of sort of something ominously beyond your comprehension. And that increases one's terror. Also, at the same time, those long sentences, that those sort of those sentences that they 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 just pull you along. They have an inevitability built into them. They're just rolling onwards, and it's that inevitability is also built into this feeling of terror because you cannot but go follow the waves of the sentences. They're like waves. They're just they're just pulling you along. I would also say that I made a decision quite early when I was writing it not to use paragraph breaks in the book, and the reader is begins to feel the same claustrophobia that Ailish feels, that they feel the sense of that there's nowhere to turn. There's no white space. There's just the rolling sentences taking you further and further on, like fate, towards this seemingly inevitable thing that may not be inevitable, that, that the characters are fighting against. Um, you know, and I'm also good. I, I like I like atmosphere. I like mood. I think I think imagery is important i think dreams are important i love um allowing the dreams to enter i mean we we spend so much of our of 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 our of our lives on earth dreaming and sometimes they're they're nonsense but sometimes they're not sometimes they're speaking the truth and there are dreams in this book that speak the truth to elish and that you know there's there's a sort of gnostic power that comes from from those kind of sequences that really sort of helps the atmosphere Congratulations again to Paul Lynch, the 2023 Booker Prize winner for his novel, Prophet Song. I'm Sarah Lestrange and I made this bonus episode of The Book Show today on the lands of the Wurundjeri people. Clannicles will be back with a regular episode of The Book Show next time. See ya. ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. 